called? We called the Jesse James. Jesse, aka the Bizzle. Yo, the Bizzle. Thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle. Thank you, the Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, folks. Here we go. The tenth and final episode of season one of The Expanse on television. Uh, and while it's a great finale and keeps the excellent momentum of the second half of the first season going, it's important to remember, as I get you into the countdown in a minute, uh, that the full arc does not end until episode 5 of season 2. Um, and there's some interesting reasons for that, which I'm not going to talk about now. So it's actually a 15-episode arc, 10 being the first season, and then the five first episodes of season 2. Now, I had promised that I was going to release all of season 1 uh, at once, and I jumped the gun a little because I had nine finished, and so I uploaded one through nine. And you know what? Without any advertising, I'm getting some hits and some likes, so thank you out there. But this will complete the ten of the first season. And while I don't know when I'll be uh, done all 13 episodes of Season 2, I'm definitely going to do the first five of Season 2 ASAP so we can finish this arc from Leviathan Wakes, which is the first book of The Expanse. Of course, this episode, um, as they name all the final episodes after the book, is called Leviathan Wakes. Uh, it's more of a tribute to the book than anything else. So we're two-thirds through the story, uh, but with Miller having met the team and now the horror is continuing on Eros and figuring out how this is all fitting together, it's really setting up uh, you know, what's an amazing first half of season two uh, before they slow things down a little bit um, we might have some mixed reactions to that but that's down the road this in the uh, first five episodes of season two that finishes up the leviathan wicks arcs are spectacular and we're gonna have a great time so whether you're just jumping in here or you've been listening to all the commentaries for this season um i thank you very much i hope you are well and healthy and uh, i'm gonna get you into the countdown for season one episode 10 of the expanse leviathan wakes and the horror is just get more horrifying and horrific uh, in uh, the Arrow situation. Um, uh, but with the team coming together and in the, the intersection with Miller, also coming very close to you know the greatness of the book and creating this universe and allowing for so many great seasons of TV and so many spectacular um, books in the Expanse series. So, alright guys, super pumped to do this with you. Um, I'm going to get you into the countdown. I'm going to watch the this at least at first with the volume at zero or very low, which is unlike my normal uh, modus operandi, um, where I want to you know get engaged and still be talking but listening you know at a decent clip. Um, but it's the last one of the season, and it's been a few days since I've done these, and also the horrifyingness of the virus and everything on Eros is is gross, as gross or more gross to listen to as it is to uh, to watch. Um, uh, but this is a good one, and uh, again, you have to keep in mind this in conjunction with the, the sort of first half of season two, because th that's where the arc ultimately uh, goes, and uh, I will be getting to those soon, as I mentioned. So queue up episode 10, season one, The Expanse. We've really been enjoying doing these with you guys. Also, a quick tease, I got The Punisher season one with Papa Bizzle coming. I know we didn't get all the way through Daredevil 3, but we were definitely doing all of Punisher 1. We love John Bernthal, we love The Punisher. And so, uh, for the near future, along with maybe some Star Wars coverage, um, with the Clone Wars being pretty good and well-received, it's going to be Expanse and, uh, and some Punisher with a little Witcher thrown in. So thanks again, and here comes the countdown. Hopefully I am aligned. Three, two, one, and go. One, two, three, four, five. All right, for your own safety, here we go. Nearest heart shelter. Alright, it's already too soft. Alright, here they are. 
Uh, it's been a few days since I've done this, so I forget what the break is. Um, but uh, again, um, if if the Miller story is super loyal before this point, and the Rossi story is sort of up and down in terms of loyalty, once they've mixed with the Miller now, it goes back to pretty loyal, other than some weird character dynamics. Um, Kevin Pritchard's character, who's you know uh, Miller's one friend um, on uh, on Eros, uh, is is clutching the book. Doesn't have this much book time, FaceTime, um, but uh, for a number of reasons, I think this character was important to have here to show how there was a good guy in Eros that was totally clueless compared to them who just got here. And if you look at Amos's eyes, knowing what's going to happen with him and Amos. Just great subtle acting by West Ch- Chatham, you know, foreshadowing without foreshadowing the the killing coming up, which is Amos's first kill that we have to question and, and talk about, or that can be questioned and talking about. Yep. So Holden is the is the big talker and the negotiator, which is part of why he's the captain. They say that to his face openly. Uh, but Naomi also has to do this stuff, especially when it comes to Belters who like and can relate to and respect her much more. All right, so here's some civvies who want to get off the station. Gonna have the sad little, dirty little girl. Um, in the book, like I, I think I said last time, Holden sends his crew back and is going to do a one-man or two-man thing with Miller. Here they are. Um, and so the Rosie goes right back, and then I'll have all this stuff on the way back to the ship, I don't believe. Um, but it's more believable that, that actually here that they would run into a number of problemos um, having to do with, with good guys in particular and whether they should and can help them uh, and, you know, having them have stuff to do. Uh, you know, it, it would be plenty artistically interesting in terms of the actors and the story to just have these two the whole episode. But have, having the Rosie crew have to deal with some more ethical uh, and just practical issues um, just on the way back to the ship with this huge station with all this uh, insane genocide level stuff going on um, would make sense what the hell do we see back there alright getting cooked by radiation which is you know, I, I think I mentioned briefly that you know radiation actually um, activates and catalyzes certain aspects of the proto molecule. So they're not irradiating the people just to irradiate them, even though they wouldn't care about killing millions, as we'll see with Jules Pierre Mao and so forth. Julie's dad, who's behind all this ultimately, they really wouldn't care. But the, the, the radiation is actually a side effect of them trying to activate on uh, a mass scale with millions of people here on Eros, the proto molecule, to whatever the next level is, which they clearly have not uh, c- contemplated well enough and will continue not only into season two and beyond but also book two and beyond you know power men you know who want power and want more power as the oracle says um you know what do all men who have power want is more power as oracle says and the matrix reloaded i think uh there's holden with the jesus figure che uh, che holden um but what's, what's interesting about the expanse and fits really well with it is that yes they want power but it's actually all driven around controlling different aspects of the proto molecule it's basically about evil science and, you know it's the difference between the sort of nazi soldiers and officers who either were in the camps or in the bureaucracy or working directly under hitler or part of the army all the different parts of nazi and german arms uh, um, army during world war ii um but the, the dr mengele and the, and the really horrible evil doctors who experimented on jews and gypsies and so forth in terrible ways um you know they cared about that as as evil and, and terrible as it was um the sort of evil science if you will uh more than everything else sort of going on and it's very interesting that the various dictators political dictators here's the great music um by clinton shorter whose name i always get wrong even though i listen to this all the time <laughs> 
um, is that the scientists, the evil Nazi scientists, are are the ones in charge, or at least high up the hierarchy. And so, yes, they want to be powerful for power's sake, and, and you know, will kill people for to achieve any goals and all goals and ends. But it is about the science, um, and so you have bad guys sciencing the shit out of stuff. Uh, in a horrific way, and then the good guys try to stomp them via sciencing the shit out of stuff in a, in a good way. Uh, and so, what's what seems like a very Battlestar, you know, military drama series just set in near future space is a lot about science without talking too much about it. And it's, of course, conveyed uh, via the books and show with the proto molecule. Okay, here we go. Final episode after the cold open, the grand intro. I mean, the intro is great, but it doesn't even matter because the music is, you know. <laughs> Anytime there's music, it's it's A plus in, in my book. In this show. So the fact that these guys are irradiated and if they survive, are going to have to take cancer meds for the rest of their lives is a big part of the book. We're reminded about it with Holden numerous times throughout the series that as as good looking and in great shape as he is, he's still always having to take his radiation meds. It actually becomes the plot point a few seasons uh, slash books down. Um, where it saves other people's lives, um, yeah, but it's a burden for him. Um, but, you know, Miller being older uh, and Belter's just their immune systems and, and physiques being just a little bit weaker than an Earther um, who's been in space a lot, like Holden, um, it certainly makes sense uh, as loyal to the character that Miller would be, you know, coughing more and experiencing it more than, than Holden. Should be an interesting day for you. So, you know, Miller becomes a straight-up killer like Amos to achieve, you know, what he considers the only possible solution to all this, of which he hasn't revealed much or all. This is great. The, the J- Tokyo Japanese, you know, insanity with, uh, it's a little bit of a firefly nod with sort of the Chinese-Japanese influence of the, the music and the colors and the, you know, pinball machines or whatever they got going in their video games. Maybe it's just a restaurant. I didn't get a good look at it. Great set design. Yeah, he's spitting up blood. So it's getting to him faster than Holden, the radiation poisoning. How long till your girlfriend takes off? Is this the reveal? She's not my girlfriend. She's not going to leave you here, right? Meaning she's not going to leave us here. So Naomi's being so strong and so smart and so forth is sold through thoughts and words of Holden in the books. Like we just saw, you know, he's like, you don't know Naomi Nagata. I fall back a little bit in the show, as I've been hinting, on other people talking about how great Naomi is, even while making her kind of do and say weird and backstabby seeming things at times. Um, And that's a show-don't-tell issue, is, you know... In great books, actually, you do want to do tell as well as a lot of show, um, but you don't want to just do tell. And they've been doing a long burn with Naomi, uh, which starts kicking in uh, with the Marco sto- story that we're, we're getting. Uh, they teased heavily and showed us some in season four and going into five, and maybe I hope they do a sixth season, even though they say they're not. Semi. Mm-hmm. Right, he's talking about him being a little belter creep himself, a little ra- ra- a little uh, street rat, if you will, belter rat, which is why he, even though he acts hard on the young punky belters, he often lets them go, or usually lets them go, as long as they're not killing people, as we've seen, and he'll get another chance to bond with them on the way to uh, back to this <laughs> horror show early next season uh, in an attempt to you know bomb it and blow it up. 
you know, Mil- Miller's identity pro- uh, <laughs> conflict, to say this to the least, self-identity conflict, being a belter who doesn't feel like a belter, you know, man out of place, man out of time, whatever, his sort of old Earth PI uh, stuff that he says, oh, there's beautiful Julie, um, creepy Julie, but beautiful, and he's staring at her. Yeah, they're really playing the romance. I don't know if I've stressed hard enough yet that he's wiping his saliva, that he he ends up being erotically sexually attracted to her, and even, spoiler alert, kissing her uh, in episode five of next season as they're about to go down, is not how it's played in the book. You think it's being played in the book, that he's creepily in love with this dead, young, much younger woman. Uh, but in the end, when he sees Julie Mao and he's trying to convince her not to go to Earth and, and to save humanity by flying into Sun or Venus or whatever... Um, um, it ends up being very fatherly. He pats her hand. He does kiss the back of her hand, but it's very, very fatherly or grandfatherly, um, which I thought was the right touch. And when we get to the kiss, in the romantic end between the those two and this, uh, with season two commentaries, I'll make my judgment about whether I'm cool with the change for the show. I definitely wouldn't change it for the book <laughs> based on this show, but it's possible just Thomas Jane's performance and the w- amazing young woman who plays Julie Mao. Uh, will be enough to be sold through performance, which is, you know, uh, Florence Favre, uh, which is a major Bizzle thing. All right, the volume's about to get loud, so I'm going to turn it down. So it, the the action sequences in The Expanse, even though it's so much character development and great dialogue, um, the action sequences which are often the last few hours, if you're listening to the audiobook, or the last, you know, 20% of the books, these big, huge action set pieces in space, on stations, on planets, all sorts of stuff. Um, but what's interesting is, for all the times I've listened to the audiobooks, and God, especially books 5 through 8, I've listened to so many times, and listened to parts constantly, and it's so excellent, I can't wait for people to discover it, if they hadn't yet, um, is that uh, the specifics of the action you know, they don't stick in your brain as much as you think, as good as it is, um, for the most part, compared to character dialogue. So when there's, like, great character dialogue chapters in The Expanse, I remember it almost word for word, but I love listening to it because of the performance, the writing uh, of, of the two guys who make up James Corey and the performance of, of Jefferson Mays, who's amazing, doing the vocal work on the audiobook, um, in The Expanse audiobooks. Um, and, and so that's actually stuff I listen to more, even though I remember better, if that makes sense. And it leaves the action sequences sort of a constant surprise to me. Um, uh, because it's not that I zone out during those parts. It's just that, you know, as human beings, we, we, we assign emotions as part of memory. Ah, oh, fucking Aaron Wright. Um, and so, you know, we gravitate towards character stuff. Even if we say we love the action stuff, and we do, it's, it's all about the characters and the dialogue and that, that part of the writing. I guess what I'm saying is, uh, you know, I, I don't even care to, um, I not care, I, I don't even mind changes one way or the other in the particulars of the action in this season or any of the seasons, as long as it doesn't interrupt the bigger parts of what's going on, because these sequences here, these three extremely important characters, Avers, Avers, uh, Christian Aversarala, um, Aversarala, um, 
and the one good admiral, her sort of buddy, love-hate buddy here, Souther, and Aaron Ray, who's above her, uh, who's manipulating things even worse than she thinks, and who's much, you know, she has suspicions, but he's even much worse than she could possibly consider. That's addressed big time head-on as the main story with Avasarala and Bobby uh, meeting up with the Rossi crew in book two, and they do get to that in episode, uh, in seasons two and three, for sure. Um, But, you know, I I guess... uh, we haven't gotten to the part where we see Aaron Wright directly hanging out with Jules Mao, twirling mustaches and talking about the great future of humanity and blah, blah, blah. Up oh, here, here he is. Here's the, so at the very beginning of book two, uh, you know, so this scene right here, if you wanted to, you know, if you, if you wanted to put the chronology in place for the books, that scene that we just saw there with a much longer conversation between Mao and Avasarala happens at the beginning of book two. So it would be, you know, at the end of this arc, which goes into the second season, meaning while we highly suspect Jules Mao, Aaron Wright, and some of these people of being involved in all of this, you know, genocidal insanity on on Eros and elsewhere, it's not addressed head on how corrupt the people above and below Avasarala are, plus the corporations as represented by Julie's Mao, Julie Mao's dad, Jules, um, uh, Jules Pierre Mao, um, you know, is the main part of season two. And while I totally understand why they wanted to get that storyline going here, uh, part of me just wants to stay with the crew um, because, again, book one in the books is is all from the perspective of either Miller or Holden, and there's more than enough there introducing our main characters um, and our other main characters of the Rossi, Alex, Naomi, etc., through through them. Um they went to get Avasarala involved early. I adore Shari Agadashlu and her sub- subplots and plots are all great. And as you know, we talked about earlier the the meeting between here's this bad magic trick that's bad on purpose to try and loosen her up doesn't really work. Uh, Alex is trying though. Um, someone more scared than him. Uh, you know, the ad scenes like the meeting between Holden's mom and Avasarala, which totally makes sense with the characters and you would believe what happened in the book. Um, but part, you know, part of the reason that the, the seasons end up being kind of staggered where the, the, uh, the climax of each book is mid TV season, which is against the normal formula, obviously, of the end of a season being the end of a book or so forth. It would be the common wisdom, um, the common way of approaching it. Uh, is that y- y- you end up having to stagger plot points time-wise and time in, in space, particularly time-wise chronologically, in order to make that work. And so they have Mao and Aaron Wright and Souther, uh, the good Admiral and Avasarala, you know, meet and have various levels of suspicion and suspicious motives and suspicious talking and, uh, you know, mustache twirling or, you know, trying to s- suss out mustache twirling and so forth much earlier on in uh, the... the uh, uh, the, the sort of arc here of the four seasons, you know, man, Miller's throwing up vomit zombies. <laughs> but anyways, the beginning of book, you know, all of book two, while we're with the Rossi crew, it's mostly about Bobby leaving the Martian Marines and then, you know, completely the most unlikely person in the way possible end up becoming the trusted advisor, the most trusted advisor of Christian Navasarala, who's been doing politics forever, and Bobby, who's from Mars, not even from Earth, never been doing politics, ends up being loyal and the best asset Navasarala has ever had. And, you know, a lot of, uh, of, of book two 
is Abasarala acting like with each new bad turn of people she doesn't trust and motives she doesn't trust and actions which she's questioning, it, in her mind is solidifying how smart she is with politics. And then when they finally get to the Rosananti and they realize that the Martians and the Earthers are all coming to blow them away for various reasons, she realizes that she highly, highly overestimated her own brains and has been underestimating the brains of people who she's been condescending to, like Bobby and especially Holden and Holden's crew. They're spreading it deliberately, right? Here's the, the realization. It's an experiment. Yep. It's a whole goddamn station. Yep. Here they are, the vomit zombies. Uh, it's so horrifying. This is another reason I had trouble with it when I first watched the show, and either not knowing it was books or not familiar with the books was I don't love horror. Uh, you know, I like some quick horror aspects in my sci-fi or just creepiness, as I mentioned, Moon, Johnny Darko, stuff like that. But I thought that with the vomit zombies and the proto molecule being so gross, the whole series was going to be this was going to be disgusting horror sci-fi. Um, and that's very much not the case, but it is the case in the early part of the series. Um, they play it up sort of proportionally time-wise in the the show. Oh, God, there's a, the, the disgusting Julie Mao. They're going to be experimenting on her because she's the original host or whatever. Um, y- you know, you have to give a decent amount of screen time to this stuff just to set up the proto-molecule. Um, and what it is, where it came from, and what it's going to be going forward. Uh, um, oh, this is so nasty. But look at this mix of practical and CGI on Julie Mao. The thing coming out of her mouth is disgusting. You know, they're treating her like an experiment. You know, she was the chosen one for whatever reason, as we'll, as we're going to see. Um, uh, and, you know, cinematically, people want to see it. People love horror. Um, and this isn't overselling it. It's really this horrifying, really this terrifying, and really this important. Oh, there's the... Right. There's the brown stuff. So the protomolecule sort of bluish white, you know, on their body and skin and coming out of their orifices. <laughs> but the goo that comes out with the vomit and stuff like that is a brown muck. And when you hit, get hit with the brown muck, it's it's over. You're infected. And it's funny, you know, I mean, the this stage of the protomolecule, um, Leviathan wakes, and then what's essentially mid-season two through mid-season three, which is Caliban's War, uh, which is sort of the continuation of the first book slash first season, uh, with the proto- this version of the protomolecule and, and the monsters that are created out of it, and, you know, the, the cabal of, of the various, uh, uh, you know, behind-the-scenes Martians and Earthers, uh, and evil corporate leaders like Jules Pierre Mao, etc., trying to use it for weapons, weaponizing in, in various things, or just evil science, as I was saying. Um, but, you know, the books three through eight, and there's one more coming, but what's out there, books three through eight, the protomolecule is still very important, but by that point, it has metamorphosed, it has changed to such a point where this sort of disgusting zombie, vomit zombie phase is, is over, because it, it, you realize this is actually just the first, uh, from the from the perspective of the protomolecule to the extent that it's alive, and it does end up being alive and conscious way more than they think, and that makes it more terrifying. We're not quite there yet, um, but it's already evolved into an intercosmic thing that's doing lots of other stuff other than making 
uh, people look disgusting and become vomit zombies. Um, and so it's actually a great misdirect in the series. Again, you have to stick with it. Uh, you know, I don't know if I've said it enough, but this series is, you know, despite its flaws, um, uh, is, is, is exhibit 1A for me, the bizzle about why I need to be a little bit more patient, especially when I can research that these are from great books. I didn't research enough that not only were these from books, but they were from acclaimed great books, um, which doesn't mean it would have assured me that I would love this or love the series, but it w- would have helped maybe keep me with it. Uh, at the same time, you know, I just was watching too much TV, and a lot of it I didn't like at the time when this was out. Uh, and and you know with the disgustingness of the proto molecule um and the uh oh man this is great shooting here look at this the dead guy uh, by the way i wanted to compliment the shooting of this episode i watched a little bit in the background while i was preparing on silent they used just the right amount of shaky cam you know the real test of shaky cam is you don't notice that they're using it unless you look for it um and that's true in battles um, as much as just being disoriented as you walk down the hall or whatever. Um, but, uh, but anyways, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think, look, they definitely didn't make the proto molecule disgusting and scary in a way that was unloyal because it's disgusting and scary in the book. They also didn't, you know, make it incredibly tense whenever you're near the protomolecule or think you are, or other people are, or who are infected, because that's also in the book. So, while this does play to, the, you know, Americans' love of horror in all of their genres, um, uh, which is fine, even if it's not my thing, um you had to go through this phase the same way the characters are going through this phase, the proto-molecule. You had to, you had to think this was just a, quote-unquote, just the most horrific and powerful biological weapon of all time, which is what it seems like for the first couple seasons. So that when it changes to something much bigger and something else much different, it was a surprise, um, but also got you thinking, which is around book, if I'm talking about books, now we're talking book three, book four, with the portals to other, spoiler alert, you know, when it opens gates to other, you know, solar systems and so forth, it starts getting you thinking, well, well if, if vomit zombies are, you know, evolving uh, within the story to, you know, stargates to thousands of systems, then what's it going to evolve to next? And man, it's way more powerful than just a biological weapon. And the protomolecule is a character who evolves as much as, uh, as any character uh, in, in the show, um, even though it may or may not have this fucking guy, the spy. I still don't understand this character. have no clue why this guy is in it important. And so, you know, what well... well um, no, I should say, by the way, uh, I was talking to my dad about it, who did get through season one. Um, I w- obviously want my dad to get through the, the whole arc, which is, you know, again, the first five episodes of season two, uh, to finish this all up. And then, ju- if nothing else, jump to season four, which is the most recent season, the first season on Amazon, and a big, just a big jump in, in just greatness and awesomeness and quality across the board, as I've been saying ad nauseum. Um, at least watch that if he doesn't watch the whole thing. Uh, here's Holden not shooting a guy, and uh, uh, I guess a professional killer knowing that a guy like Holden isn't in a place yet where he's just going to murder guys, although he will get to that place soon, um, if not permanently. Um, but uh, he asked me to rate it, um, or I just volunteered a rating, and I said, if you include the first five episodes of season um, uh, two, which you have to, that's a whole 15-episode arc for Leviathan Wakes, book one, 
you include those episodes post me having that way um post me having read the books um, what I said was, well, I, I dock a few points, sometimes major points, for things like this, which are unnecessary with the spy, who's completely um, uh, extenuating and unnecessary, um, and the fact that, the, you know, the crew is tense for too long, it takes longer for the family to come together, the fact that Naomi is set up as, you know, an infiltrator or a turncoat or something, it's, you know, character choices like that, having them be too stoic early on, not show enough emotion in humanity, uh, you know, I do dock points when you bring in the, the book comparison, there's Miller, um, what is Miller saying here? You watch that whole thing. Um, but nevertheless, uh, when you combine a lot of stuff that I like, that they either added or kept or modified or, you know, did their own spin on from the books, those things outnumber the, the things that I didn't like that changed. Um, for, for example, right here, Art played, or, or Kevin Pritchard, who plays Art at Orphan Black, um, Samatimba, uh, 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 Miller's friend is completely believable that he would have more screen time just from the book's perspective that we don't see that's off screen uh, that fits within the characters setting up the motives showing Amos as a vicious killer you know we have to see that Amos doesn't kill just you know 1A 135% evil bad guys that sometimes he kills good guys to save other good guys is important to see with Amos and so like that's an example of a, a change or an addition or whatever with more Sama Timbo played by Kevin Pritchard that I was totally cool with so with all that being said, you know, if you take all of season one and first five episodes of season two, which you have to because it's the same arc, after having read the book, I give it in the high seven, 7.7, 7.8, 7.9. And really with how it picks up at the end of this season and the first five of season two, it's almost it's almost at eight for me in terms of television. Again, because it accomplished something so difficult in making books that I fell in love with. Uh, you know, fun and exciting and, and even new again in its own way. Uh, here's Christian with the, uh, the hubby who gets replaced by another actor. Um, uh, but, um, uh, you know, in the, like, let's put it this way. You guys know, even before The Witcher came out that I predicted, and then once I saw it and did my commentaries and reviews, gave The Witcher A++, both in terms of just being an awesome first season of a series uh, with high level of difficulty, and, you know, uh, translating one of the best fantasy series of all time, also super high level of difficulty. Expanse, you know, takes a few seasons to get that going. But season one and a half, and, and a half the first season and a half, they really do nail the feel uh, of the book, even when there are some changes, additions, etc. Um, and so, you know, at the time, I probably would have given it closer to a seven. Now it's closer to an eight for the first season and a half of the Leviathan Wakes um, arc. Um, it will be interesting to see how I respond to mid-season two through mid-to-end season three, knowing that, again, at the time, a couple of years ago, I wasn't fully on board and wasn't even sure, as most people weren't, that the series was continued. Uh, then, of course, was pleasantly surprised when I heard Amazon had picked it up and that it was getting really good. And then even way more pleasantly surprised, like ecstatically surprised and happy when I watched season four and binged it and was like, oh my God, this is what we've been waiting for the whole time with The Expanse. But the seeds are planted in the first season and a half. And so, while I've been dissing Sci-Fi Channel for losing or canceling all its great shows, which is true, uh, even when they don't say it, like like the four seasons of Battlestar, we don't really know what went on there. Um, and I've been giving Amazon all the praise for stepping it up big time with season four. 
um, the, the seeds are, are planted uh, with, with the Leviathan Wakes um, in, in the first 15 episodes here. And so that's what gives it extra points for me. But having, you know, starting the staggering of books within the seasons now, where, you know, books are resolved mid-seasons, it makes it very hard for me to review seasons. It's, in fact, it's impossible. Um, and even though, you know, things like Game of Thrones, you know, it's especially as Game of Thrones goes past, you know, three, four, five, and then there aren't any more Game of Thrones books, they're just the Game of Thrones show... Yeah, here's that we're all gonna die. We're gonna die like animals fighting with each other. Even if, even if helping each other would would accomplish nothing, it's just sad to see humans end up like this. Um, but the point being, you know, the, unlike The Witcher, which was completed, and The Expanse, which although has one more book, Book Nine, the books were always numerous uh, seasons ahead of the seasons that were airing, and so the material was there. Meaning, when they were making, you know, this one, this season one, they already had like four or five Expanse books out uh, to work from. Unlike George Martin with The Game of Thrones, where it just stopped after five books, people weren't satisfied. He never finished it, and then the series, the series went on what seven and eight, nine seasons of, of Game of Thrones. Um, and, and so you're going to end up, you know, creating brand new stuff, but also intermixing uh, books within seasons. Uh, you know, at that point, it ends up being okay because then the show uh, has a momentum uh, of its own. But I remember w- when I finally sat down and watched Expanse 1. Here we go. Here's Amos going to kill him. He's not going to think twice. If there's even a 1% chance that this guy's going to kill Naomi, which is definitely more than a 1% chance, he's going to shoot him, and that's it. And it shows the loyalty to Naomi. It shows Amos' cold-bloodedness, but also his practical his practicality. Here he goes. He pretends like he's walking away. This is so, so Amos. So casual. Boom. There he goes. Dead. Had to see it. Naomi had to know it was coming. She couldn't talk him down. <laughs> she tried to. You say wait, boss, we wait. Yeah, they're waiting for Holden. This guy's trying to... Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, to wrap up that last long conversation, it's going to be hard for me to grade all the seasons as is. And it's also going to be hard for me logistically because I'm going to have to put you know the first one and a half out pretty much around the same time. Uh, and then I have to sort of figure out, do I just finish season two? So you guys, and then season three, even though the books are split up, whatever. Luckily, you know, with the break they had, and then the fact that it's a somewhat standalone story in book four, and, and they mimicked that to the extent that they could excellently um, in season four with the Illis new terror story or whatever. Now they're back on track um, of, uh, you know, book aligning, you know, number of book aligning with same number of series of the series. So book four, season four. Of course, they also planted a bunch of stuff in season four, including Marco Naros and the character of Drummer and so forth, uh, who are extremely important in five, six, and seven and so forth. Uh, but that's how you do it. Y- you don't split up the seasons to such an extreme degree where you basically started a new season, you know, in like episode six of, of, of a season. 
because uh, you're still wrapping up the last one. And that's, I think, one of many sort of small things that actually had a bigger negative impact than, than was thought because it was already hard to follow a lot of this p- political um, and just plot stuff going on uh, to begin with. Here's a great firefight. Um, but then w- when you're trying to explain to people they're not going to get satisfaction at the end of a season and then they're going to get the satisfaction to some extent <laughs> mid the next season but then start the next plot, which inevitably is going to start slow, uh, you know, in principle, I have no problem with the TV format, you know, doing stuff like this. Um, but even now, where they're releasing entire seasons or shows at once, like with the Netflix binge model, they're not doing stuff like that. Um, and they still try and keep the seasons not self-contained necessarily if they're serialized, but you know, have a beginning, middle, and end of that season just like you've beginning and middle end of episodes. And that's pretty much what it's like. I mean, it's a fun thought experiment as this great gunplay goes on, which is, so you take what they did with The Expanse, where everything, you know, is being wrapped up and then flipped over to the next page mid-season, each mid-season, confusing people more than they already are. Think about doing that with the episodes. Like, in these 43-minute episodes, this guy's going to probably get murdered. In these 43-minute episodes, what if... Oh, he shoots them. Jesus Christ. He had it coming. Oh, man. It's a long story. Fucking A. Um, you know, how unsatisfying would it be at 30 minutes, you know, to end one story and then at 31 minutes to 43 minutes be the next story and then not wrap that up or have any conclusion until mid the next episode? It's not a great one-to-one comparison. Um, and I'm sorry to go all meta here. If you guys just want to zone out and enjoy the, the filming and acting and action of this, by all means, please do. But, you know, these means is different. <laughs> it's special and unique in a lot of ways. Um, and I do love talking behind the scenes stuff and would love to get the full story of how this was all decided. My guess, and then we'll get back uh, to the episode itself for the last couple minutes. Um, my guess is it was, it was, it, let's put it this way. I think budget-wise, they were probably over budget. And I think, considering the next season uh, is, is 13 episodes, and, and that, for a while, on uh, Netflix and, and cable has been sort of the thing is 13 episodes, but now they're going back to 10. Like, you know, like, the Defender shows went back to 10 before they got taken off Netflix, and the Expanse is back to 10 episodes of season 4. Um, uh, you know, Game of Thrones kept having few, fewer episodes per season, but for a while, 13 was the number. And I think they thought they were going to get 13 episodes, and they could stretch the budget and they and so if this is 10 plus 5 15 episodes leading into next season they certainly could have done it in 13 with a couple cuts here or there especially with a couple of the episodes that i, I critiqued um or, or parts of episodes like the, the spy guy who's still unknown why he's around and, and why we should feel anything when he's left to, to die at the end or whatever um and so trimming here or there to get from 15 to 13 wouldn't have been a thing. But I just think logistically, you know, sci-fi again it screwed up. They either weren't monitoring the budgets well enough, and so they had to push things back. They could only afford 10 episodes, or it was an airing schedule thing. You know, sci-fi is always airing at terrible times, like putting Battlestar Galactica on, like, Saturday nights as opposed to, like, Wednesday nights, because they're afraid of going up against popular shows on network TV and blah, 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 or HBO shows on Sunday nights, you know. Um, Netflix and Amazon, thank God, don't have to worry about that. 
great Holden Miller stuff. Um, um, I know I've been talking a lot of big picture at the end of this season. It's just what's on my mind. Uh, there's Julie Division, um, but I'm going to be talking tons about these two leading men uh, of the first book going into the, the big giant conclusion in season two because it's extremely complicated, their love-hate thing, and it ends up being represented so fucking has like shit. There's Amos. He's constantly telling Cap in the book, you look like various levels of shit. Uh, uh, Holden. Um, uh, uh, and so we'll talk a lot about Miller and Holden uh, starting next season. Um, but as we wrap this one up, and uh, I had this one mostly on mute, which I normally don't do because I wanted to do some bigger picture talks because now I'm going to launch into the final five episodes that make the beginning of season two so I can release them. There's Dead Art. Um, yeah, he's not going to be happy about that with Amos. Uh, dead Samatimba. Um, hospice put on hospice mode they're ready for them to die jesus christ um uh is is because you know there are some just straight up you know writing directorial things that were problematic about this show in terms of my experience and in terms of not reaching full potential of ratings um for the first few seasons necessarily even while it got a cult following and people like me had a soft spot for these characters and these actors and so forth, didn't quite hit. Now that now they're hitting, which is great. Um, and I just wanted to talk about some of the reasons why, um, as we get, you know, fully into the action, um, uh, that wraps up this, uh, um, this arc and, and moves on to some, you know, ever crazier, ever more insane stuff, uh, coming up in, in the next few seasons. Um, is that, you know, networks can really tank shows by accident or on purpose or both. And I would love to get the full story some, someday about why Sci Fi Network was willing to throw in, you know, most of the money, like 80% of all the money, which is a lot of money that this needed, but it needed a little bit more, or 10 episodes out of 13 to get this going. You know, why they cut. You know, if you cut enough small corners, you know, whether you're a TV show or a government, if you cut enough small corners, uh, then, you know, the, the house falls down, even though everything else looks great. All of a sudden, you realize it's infested, and you know, all, not all the electrical sockets work, and the, and the house is settling, and, and the roof's caving in. Everything looked great at first with the new house when you got it, and then all the little small things that they cut corners, the builders and the fi- financiers, uh, you know, put money into, uh, all the corner cutting uh, just turned into absolute shit. Here's the roasting. One last glorious time for season one. And we'll get back to her soon. And this is real physics, you know? I mean, there's thrusters all over the place. Um, they really accentuated the physical uh, look of the thrusters in Battlestar. Here you can see it. You can see the thrusters coming out big time. You know, he, this is a much more complicated maneuver than it might seem, even though it's in zero-G. You know, the Rossi is is like a, a war horse, as they say, and she's got a big butt. <laughs> Uh, and so, even getting out of that, that airlock hangar there took some mad skills from our boy uh, Alex Kamal, played by the great Crass Hanvar. There it goes. Leaving Arrow Station. Alright. People groaning on video. How does this all end? Um, so, thank you so much for joining me for Season 1. And if you're enjoying this and want to get back to me squealing and just having a great time with the individual episodes, please stick with me through the next few into Season 2 because... You know, this, if you haven't experienced this before, or maybe you watched this once and you forget, the level of, of cosmic insanity that's about to occur is way beyond even stuff that they've teased so far, which is very loyal to the book.
No. It's always great to give us surprises that you haven't been setting up. But then it clicks into place and makes sense. Blood, you have blood on you, not mine. Yeah. Alright, it's Art's blood. I'm sorry, Kevin Pritchard's blood. Some Matimba, we saved a few. We should have saved more. This is a very Naomi thing. We will. Yep. This is important. This is important. You know, Alex, verbally, we've seen Alex's brain. Um, and, but we know Amos is feeling it, even though he doesn't speak about his feelings. You know, the two others, Alex and Amos, have constant anxiety at some level. They love that, that, that Holden and Naomi are together and they work, they work amazing together. Why are they ending with the spy being stuck on the station? Is he just sort of the, I think the idea of this, guys, uh, thank you. Thanks for joining me. I need to do a hard out so I can take a break to the other episodes. I think the idea of this is that this guy's supposed to be just a random dude who gets caught up, sent by the evil people on Earth in their cabal, and he just ends up failing on so many levels. But the biggest level that he fails on isn't his lack of, of spying uh, success against the Rossi crew, but being here when the fireflies take over and being one of millions of people to be to turn into vomit zombies and be a disgusting genocidal biological weapons experiment. There it is. This is really cool. Yep, yep, yep. This is again. This is something we don't get directly in the book. The the sort of the blue fireflies taking the form of a person. And it goes right into it with the claws. Oh man, it looks like as good as anything from the Matrix movies. Wow, that looked that looked awesome. So you know, so the spy guy is really to communicate other things, um, which is fine with side characters, whether you add them or not. But when they're just there to communicate or tease other things, it's normally not enough. So thank you for joining me. Uh, this was sort of a big picture um, look at the series. Um, and uh, while it's technically the the end of season one, it is the end of season one. Excuse me. I felt this was the time to do it because you know the books uh, are really. Uh, three X old school, three X structures, um, with some excitement and, uh, but also some sort of laid back character building in the beginning. And then some sort of, you know, empire strikes back up and down. Good guys, win, bad guys, win, good guys, win, bad guys, win stuff in the middle. You're not really sure where it's going. And then the third act tends to be big, huge, epic, uh, battles mixed with big, huge, epic character, uh, moments, um, as well, all wrapped into one. And that's certainly what's going on here with the first 15 episodes, five, 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 um, five by five as Bobby always says everything's five by five here so I wanted to get that stuff out so that the next five I could just absolutely nerd out oh man I gotta get this up onto my SoundCloud uh, if you, um, so I can have all ten for season one up and I gotta figure out how the fuck I'm gonna release the first five of season two without putting them in the season one folder but it, they can't be in the season two folder because it's less than half of season two is this story so god damn it Sci- Sci-Fi Network you're making this hard on me thank you so much for joining me this has been a blast can't wait to do seasons two through four hope you are as healthy and happy as possible given the circumstances all my love and prayers and good vibes going out to you may the force be with you but for now the bizzlecast is out